0: And I think uh, Dr. Rich is just about ready. She's getting her mic. And uh, she's going to talk to us again on nail disease. Please welcome Dr. Rich back. Well, I'm back for more nails. And you guys are very, uh, very nice to still be here listening, wanting to hear about more nails. Today we're going to do um, cases that are more medically directed. And as soon as they find the slides, we'll get started. Uh, we're going to talk about things like psoriasis and um, all sorts of other things, uh, nail psoriasis. Um, um, and it's going to be in a kind of a case thing with questions and answers and uh, um, Twitter. And no, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just very impressed with how organized you all are. You have a, a Twitter and a, a page where, you can, where the people at home can get information. I think that's really wonderful. It's really, truly a well-organized meeting, and I'm delighted to be here. I think we're ready. Or at least I hope we are. Okay, so the first case is going to be a review. We're going to see how much you learned from this morning because we talked about this case already. Um, 18-year-old female developed a tender lesion under her nail after injury playing football, um, powder puff football, and there's a the lesion. Uh, a little bit closer. There it is. Okay. So what do you do next? What are we going to do here? Uh, We're going to order an ultrasound of her nail. Are we going to ask her who won the game? Are we going to x-ray her hand? Are we going to perform a KOH or culture for staff and strip? X-ray, yay. Oh, you guys are a smart group. Absolutely, we are going to x-ray. That's going to tell us what it is. We're going to be able to take off the nail and deal with it. Um, there it is sticking out. These all look kind of the same. Once you've seen a few of them, you're going you're to notice they're all the same. And we already went through this, so we do know this already. Um, and um, removal is just um, like we talked about. Anyway, we were talking about exostosis is one of the few painful nail lesions. Not few. There are some. And it really helps to have that in your mind. What are the painful nail lesions? Because that sorts out, you know, the melanoma is never painful. A lot of things are not painful. And even things like normally nail psoriasis and normally onychomycosis, unless there's pressure and thickening and some other mechanical thing, the disease process itself is not particularly painful. So what are some painful nail lesions? Well, let's take a look here. Um, anything that's infectious, if, there was, if there's pus under the nail or was under the nail, something like this, um, there's really no room for pus under the nail. So if, you, if there's an abscess or anything, that's exquisitely painful. And just draining that will give patients a lot of relief. Uh, pa- uh, draining abscess at the, at the lateral nail fold, that's very, very painful. Uh, the pressure from that is, is, is very painful. Trauma, of course, we talked about that. This patient actually has something that's a little bit unusual. I saw another case of this the other day, um, uh, photoonycholysis. This, is, this patient uh, was taking uh, doxycycline, as was the other one, went in the sun, and actually it's like a sunburn of the fingernails. They get this photo reaction of the nails, and then the nails lift, and you have photoonycholysis, so it's painful during when it happens. Um, Not a terribly common thing. Sometimes it can even get hemorrhagic, as in this case. Um, What's this one? Painful, benign tumor of the nail? Glomus tumor, good job. Yes, 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 there it is. Um, And we talked about dealing with that. We talked about exostosis. So those are the main ones. Squamous cell carcinoma is also on the list. Um, And that's kind of, if you can keep those in your mind, you'll, you'll probably have them. Okay, case number two. Um, Tender red plaque on the nail fold. So what do you think? Um, It was tender and scaly, 56 year old woman, previously treated for just about everything. uh, wart, psoriasis, eczema, pyoderma. Okay, let's look at it a little more closely. There it is, kind of scaly, a little bit red. Uh, Anybody have any ideas? Let's look at it again, well, let's see, what's our next step? We're gonna do this sequentially, what will we do next? Are we gonna give her a a topical steroid prescription because it's probably eczema or psoriasis, Eh. are we going to culture it? Are we going to patch test her to her nail polish, or are we gonna biopsy? Biopsy, yes, yes, good job, all right, we got that down. That's that's the dermatoscope actually, and um, um, you know this when it's on the nail fold, it actually looks a lot like it does on the skin elsewhere under the dermatoscope. So that's not too much of a surprise. And the biopsy is the way to go. There's our little biopsy. So um, what do we want to? know? How, how can we sort out? Somebody comes in with a scaly thing or a warty thing. How do we decide if it if it needs to be biopsied? Well, find out about symptoms. Is it painful? Um, ask about the duration, age and sex, history of HPV, and the most common digits are the first and third digit on the dominant hand, um, and, and over and over, those are the two that seem to be the most involved, so thumb and, and third finger, and some people propose that, uh, especially the ones that are HPV, they're the high-risk HPV, the same as the cervical, um, um, H, the ones that cause cervical problems and, and uh, genital warts, um, and people think that it's, um, you know, hygiene and that sort of thing that, that actually causes those digits to be involved. So what's the next step? What are we going to do with this? Um, are we going to watch and wait? Are we going to get an X-ray? Are we going to send her for MOE's? Or are we going to excise it with margins? Um, well, you're close if you said That's probably, that That probably is going to be the answer. But the first thing you need to do is get an X-ray because... You need to know if it's, if it's affected the bone. Now, in this case, I guess, well, maybe that's a little bit iffy if you're certain it's in too, I guess there's always a chance that the part you biopsied was in situ, but the rest is not. And if it's in the bone, that puts it out of your, out of your um, ballpark altogether and it has to go um, to a surgeon for amputation. If it's not in the bone, then we excise with margins or do Mohs. And it turns out that whoever said Mose is right because Mose is the um, standard of care, the gold standard actually for squamous cell in situ or limited invas- invasive squamous cell of the nail. So good job on that, you got that right. So we are going to get an x-ray and probably either send a Mohs or excise it for margins. If the x-ray is positive, off it goes. Okay, so um, the clinical presentation of squamous cell is highly variable. And with everything in the nail, it depends on which portion of the nail unit is being, uh, uh, where the pathology is. In other words, if it's the matrix, it looks one way. If it's the nail fold, it looks another way. If it's the bed, it looks differently still. Um, and so um, the clinical manifestations, and it's like this for lots of things. Psoriasis, too. If it's the matrix, it looks a certain way. Pitting, you know, lots of things will do this. So it depends on what part of the nail unit. And these are the five... The five kinds of squamous cells that you need to be thinking about. Five, the five presentations that we see in the nail. Um, verrucus is probably the most common. It looks like a wart. Um, eczematous like are the ones that you, one you just saw that's on the proximal nail fold. looks eczematous, looks red and scaly and you know, kind of funny. Longitudinal rithronicaa we talked about this morning. Those are the ones that are a red band in the nail. Um, sometimes um, they can have a little papule underneath as well. Um, onycholysis is another way. If you have a patient who has chronic onycholysis that isn't healing and when, in which there's some oozing and perhaps some tenderness, you gotta think squamous cell because that's likely to be it. Um, and then lastly longitudinal melanonychia can sometimes be the issue as well. So um, this is actually kind of interesting. A lot of, a lot of dermatologists don't don't get it right going in, and this, this illustrates, this is a paper in the BJD a while ago, and it looked at uh, specimens coming in from dermatologists, um, and they were just the specimens with the final diagnosis, the pathologic diagnosis of squamous cell. And then they looked back at the path reports, the uh, requisitions, to see what the clinician thought it was to begin with coming in, okay? And they found that it was all over the place. These were all bona fide, pathologically um, confirmed squames. And, and they came in some as warts, some as onychomycosis, some as longitudinal melanonychia. Um, a few of them, if you look there, about um, almost 30% um, got it right, but uh, 70% didn't. And so it really is variable, even, even people that see a lot of this stuff. This is a pretty typical warty squamous cell carcinoma. They look a little baruchous. A lot of times they're frozen as warts forever before they're treated. And, and you, if you're thinking about this, you're not going to miss it. But if, you're, you know, if, if it's just a knee-jerk wart thing, you may, um, because these do go on. And, I'll, and I have to admit, I've frozen some of them in, uh, myself. Again, it looks kind of warty. I mean, wouldn't you think that's a wart? This guy had been frozen for a while with um, liquid nitrogen, and but it was it was kind of painful, and it never really healed, and it didn't ever get better, and none of the, you know, the salicylic acid just burned like crazy when he tried to use that, and so you know there are clues, and and just keeping an index of suspicions important. Um, Warty, verrucus, I mean, y- you're not going to miss that, uh, and then um, one like this that is a little bit more invasive, but. Um, but still not in the bone, you can send for Mose, And as I said, Mose is really the gold standard. Um, This lovely lady um, has vitiligo, actually, and she has a squamous cell under one of her digits, one of her nails, that is um, um, not pigmented. And, And she's a great example, actually, um, I always like to. I, the, we always talk to the residents about pigmentation in the nail because longitudinal melanonychia is so important. Um, and and everybody's nails are the same color. True healthy nails are all the same, no matter what race you are. So African Americans, Caucasians, albinos, um, Asians—they we all have the same color nail because we don't have pigment in our nail. So you'd think, well, it should be brown. Now physiologically, some darker raced people, um, darker skinned individuals do get bands. African Americans, for example, about 90% have physiologic pigmented bands by the time they're 90. But healthy, non—you uh, know—healthy young nails are all the same color, no matter what the race. Um, and again, you see this warty little squamous cell there, warty, warty squamous cell, warty squamous cell. And this one involves the matrix, which is why there's no nail plate distally. Um, it involves the bed as well and under the nail fold, um, but. Um, you can tell when there's no nail plate, you have to think, why is there no nail plate? Something's eaten, you know, something's eaten away at the matrix, and that's the deal. Okay, this, is, this can be a sleeper. Onycholysis can, can kind of fool you, um, um, but when you cut that off and look underneath there, you see that there is a growth. So, you know, get your clippers out, even if you're not going to numb it up and take it off, at least clip away and see if there's a growth under there that you need to biopsy. And then the, the um, paronychia ones, they can look kind of warty, kind of kind of paronychia, onycholytic again, oozing. These are all squames. This one, squamous cell carcinoma, treated for eczema for years. Um, tender, scaly, enlarging, not improving, not steroid responsive. All those things are clues. Another one, um, uh, this actually started on the nail fold and then has gone under and around and under the nail. So it's actually in the nail bed now too. This one is really a sleeper, okay? This one um, looks like habitic disorder. You know, when you when you fiddle around with your cuticles, you get those horizontal lines, the washboard thing. I know you've all seen that a million times. Well, this patient came in, um, and she has squamous cell carcinoma here. Actually, the resident came out and said, I have a third year resident with me in nail clinic, came out and said, oh, it's just another, just another habitic.' Uh, You know, I told her what to do, and, um, and then, um, uh, this, I had a student with me that day too, who was, believe it or not, a PA student. And you know, I always ask him, well, what do, what do you think? And she said, well, you know, it was kind of tender, and um, you know, it, it, it'd been there for a long time. And I sat there and watched her, and she didn't fiddle with it at all. And so, yeah, she was kind of thinking outside the box a little bit, and I was impressed with that. But anyway, um, so we went in, and it was in fact a squamous cell. We biopsied it. Um, it looked like a habitic deformity, and, and on the right is, uh, let's see in the picture, is a more typical habitic deformity, and on the left is the, I'm sorry, yeah, uh, my left, okay. My left is the habitic, my right is the squamous cell, and they look a lot alike. So kind of keep your thinking cap on if you see people like that as well. And again, squamous cell is the diagnosis. So so, uh, treatment, again, if it's in situ. Uh, for sure, then Moses gold standard, excision with wide mar- margins if it's invasive, and we already talked about this. You've got to send them to Moses. Okay, good. Or you can cut around it just like you would do for a cutaneous squamous cell, and you're all very good at that. Okay, so that's that. All right. I think we've hammered squamous cell. Oh, my goodness. I have more squamous cells. Okay. Um, again, Warty, Verrucus. Um, and taking them off. We always submit them in the cassettes, and that's the way to go. Okay, next. Um, this one's kind of fun. This is not a question and answer thing. This is genuine, honest to goodness, habitic deformity. Um, we see this all day long, and I'm sure you do too. And patients come in and they monkey with their cuticles. Usually the cuticles are attached, and they always say, Oh, I don't, I don't do that. I don't fiddle with my cuticles. I, I, I never do that. And, you know, they're doing something to their cuticles, but um, are doing something rubbing over the matrix as the nails coming in. So, So I always give them the benefit of the doubt. I never say, oh, no, I know you're doing it. I say, well, it looks like there's something external going on here. And the way I can tell is when I look at your nail, look how large those lunula are. See how big that white area is? Most moons are not that big. You almost always see that in have a tick disorder. So I, I tell them to look at their moons, and, and they say, oh, yeah, that's really big. Well, gosh, it must be something going on externally. And then I say, a lot of people do this to their fingers, and they do it when they don't know they're doing it, when they're watching TV or driving the car or, hey, you might even be doing it in your sleep. And so, and then they say, well, yeah, may, maybe, maybe I am, maybe I am. So you're just planting the seed so that hopefully they can stop. Anyway, there was a paper in one of the... Uh, I think it was the archives, actually, not long ago, that had a really novel little trick to help uh, fix this problem. I don't know if any of you, you probably probably have seen the article, but I think it's worth talking about. It's an inexpensive, easy solution for habitic deformity. Um, and what they propose is that you take super glue, um, assuming they're not cyanoacrylate aller- allergic, um, and actually put a drop of glue on the nail fold and um, over kind of the rough area at the proximal part of the nail. And then over time, the patient stops fiddling and the nail comes in normal. And, and so I, and I do tell patients, if you can stop doing it, wrap it up, do whatever you need to do, um, you, can, you can get your nails back to normal again. And, and some of them are motivated that they actually can do it. There are some people who can't. Um, in fact, there are some studies that have used um, SSRI drugs in, to help people in that sort of thing. Um, so I think, I think there is a spectrum. Okay, moving on. What do you think of this? What, what do you suppose this is? You suppose, is? Do you think this is just the very worst fungus you've ever seen in your whole life, this poor guy? What do you think is wrong with his nails? They're certainly not beautiful. Well, there's a differential here too. What do you think? Uh, let's look a little closer. They're kind of scaly, warty, eh, kind, of, kind of funny looking. Well, let's see, what are we gonna do next? This guy comes in with big, ugly, thick, scaly nails. What are we gonna do? Should we just start him on Lamisil right off the bat, straight out of the chute? Uh, Should we do a KOH in culture? Should we refer him to a podiatrist? Should we get an x-ray of his foot or should we send him to a geneticist? And I think, well, there are a number of answers here, a number of things that we should do. um, the x-ray, well, let's keep going. The x-ray, I mean, the culture and uh, KOH was negative. Um, and we're looking at them again here. So next, what are we going to do? What's the next step? We, we know that it's not fungus because we have a, a culture that was negative. Or you can do a PAS, whatever. Um, so what are we going to do? Look at the patient's skin, check a CBC, order a chest x-ray, or perform nail avulsion. Oh, I've heard a lot of comments, but I didn't get any of them. What do you think? Um, There are a number of things that, let's see, am I going the right way? Well, let's look at his skin first. What do you see here? That's his skin against our kind of next to the resident's skin, the palm. Anybody know what that's called? That kind of funny... Tri-palm, that's exactly what that's called this is a perineoplastic problem it means he has a cancer somewhere he has tri-palm, the skin on the hand looks a particular way and he and they also get other kinds of things they get this acanthosis nigricans type thing going on um, and and this acral hyperkeratosis so fingers toes sometimes even their nose and ears acral acral condition so this is called acrokeratosis perineoplastica, a basic it's pretty rare, actually. Um, I've only seen a few cases of it um, in my lifetime. Um, and it's always due to a cancer somewhere um, at a distant site. It's not cancer in those lesions. It's cancer somewhere else because it's perineoplastic. Um, most of the malignancies are in the upper airways, so um, esophageal, um, uh, even sinuses, um, the pharynx. Um, uh, it can also be mouth, tongue, throat, that sort of thing. Um, they c- sometimes have METs, but not always. And, and interestingly, this condition may precede the malignancy, or at least be there before the malignancy was discovered. Um, and occasionally it will disappear when the tumor is removed fully. So, uh, so it's one of those paraneoplastic things that kind of really is tumor-driven. And it generally happens in men over 40. That's probably where it's seen the most. Anyway, it's pretty rare, but if you see it, it's, you, know, you will now recognize it. Um, okay, here we go. This is a case of a 45-year-old man who has dystrophic nails with pitting. Just straight out of the chute, what are you thinking? Psoriasis. Psoriasis, absolutely, good job. You are absolutely right. The pitting, he's got onycholysis. he has a few splinter hemorrhages in there. He has many, many features of nail psoriasis. And there, there are eight main features, by the way, depending on whether it's nail bed or nail, nail matrix. Anyway, closer up. He's got the little bit of the oil drop, you know, the, the nail bed stuff going on there. Lots of nail changes. So, um, and he doesn't have much else going on on his skin, but he does have bad nail psoriasis. So, so what are you gonna do? Well, are you gonna tell him to, uh, oh, just live with it, it's only fingernails. Get a life, you got better things to think about. Uh, are you going to check a CMP and a lipid panel and ask about cardiovascular risks? Or are you going to give him, not maybe or, maybe and, are you going to give him the web address for the National Psoriasis Foundation? Are you gonna put him on a three month course of Lamisil just for fun? Um, Are you going to prescribe whatever it takes to clear his nails, including biologics? I think there are multiple questions. You can kind of think over in your mind which of those you would do. Um, these are the ones that I think would be appropriate to do. Certainly check a CMP and lipid panel. Even people with nail psoriasis, you have to be certain that they don't have cardiovascular diseases, which psoriatics are at risk for, of course. Uh, there are lots of comorbidities I'm sure you know about. And then um, I think the National Psoriasis Foundation is an incredible organization, and they really help patients a lot. They're there for support, they have lots of literature, and I use them a lot. Um, and then lastly, uh, I see a lot of people who have bad nail psoriasis, and maybe they only have it in their nails. About five percent of people have psoriasis only in their nails, and they're treated with topicals on and on and on and on and on. And yeah, topicals can work sometimes, and when it does, it's wonderful, it's terrific. And we always start with topicals, but after a while, when topicals don't work, um, it's time to move on to the next level. Anyway, let's let's keep going. So these are his nails, and he, and he's you know he's a pretty active guy. Um, we did start with topicals, and he and he doesn't have much skin psoriasis, actually, a little bit on his palms, but, um, um, and then we, you know, we went right up the ladder and finally put him on a biologic, and he is now a happy camper with uh, clear nails, and he is not embarrassed to show his hands in public. So, um, and, I, and I think it's okay to do that, I mean, somebody doesn't have to have 20% body surface area to, to be treated with a biologic. If they have something that is bothering them and disrupting their quality of life, even if it's just nails, I think they deserve treatment. Anyway, I do have to say I have a potential conflict of interest. Um, I do studies with a lot of companies that make drugs for psoriasis. We do um, uh, actually not all nail nail trials at all, but um, and those are listed there. So, and I probably will mention products with. Um, with the brand name, not the generic or the biologic name. Um, um, and I do that mostly for clarity. So um, it's my conflict of interest. I just want you all to know that, although I don't advocate any particular drug. Um, another, another kid. This, this 10-year-old boy was so troubled by his nails. I mean, they were really ugly. His friends teased him. It was just a mess for him. Um, he didn't have much psoriasis anywhere else, actually. A little tiny bit of intertriginous, but we were able to get rid of that pretty easily. Um, and uh, his nails were downright awful, and we tried topicals, and we tried all sorts of other stuff, including injections. And he, you know, bless his little heart, to put up with that pretty well. Um, but we couldn't get his nails clear, so we finally, um, well, you can see well, there's a little bit of improvement on a few of them after the intralesional injections. Um, so we finally put him on a biologic, and his nails cleared right up, and he's, uh, he's a happier kid. So I, I don't have any qualms with doing that. I mean, look how bad his nails were before. They really were terrible. Um, another guy, this is a young guy, college just got out of college, looking for a job, wants to find a life partner, embarrassed, doesn't want to have a girlfriend, doesn't want anyone to hold his hand, that kind of thing, because of the, the nails. And again, we tried lots of things. It didn't work. So right on up to, to biologics, and I think um, in this case, it happened to be rumicade, but I think that lots of them work. I, I don't have a particular one that I necessarily think is um, all that better. I think, I, actually, I think just like they are miraculous for skin psoriasis, they will also clear nail psoriasis most of the time. Um, psoriatic arthritis and nails—you heard about that in the last um, the last um, psoriasis talk. Um, there is a close association. Uh, not everybody has it, and and you'd think that the worse the skin psoriasis. The, the worst, this, the um, nail psoriasis, and in some cases there is a linear line. There, this was something in the I think Blue Journal last year that shows a pretty linear line. But but if you, but but I mean look look up here, there there are people that are way outside the norm too. So some people have lots of psoriasis and not much nails, and some people have um, uh, nails and not much skin psoriasis. So it's all over the place. It, and as I said, five percent of people have it only in the nails. Um, about a third of the people have onychomykiasis co- uh, concomitantly, and it turns out if you clear up the psoriasis, the nails get better. Um, it's not the reverse. If you clear up the fungus, the psoriasis doesn't always get better. Sometimes it does help it, though, because we propose that there may be um, some sort of Kebner thing going on with the, the fungus exacerbating it, but that's not, um, not clear. So where do we start with nail psoriasis? Well, if, if the nail psoriasis is mild in a patient without sy- symptoms or major concerns, sure, start with a topical or minimum therapy. And you know, I see, I see crusty old men who say, yeah, I don't care about my nails, You know, I, I, it doesn't bother me. And, and if that's the case, we really don't need to pull out all the stops. But for mild to moderate disease, in the absence of skin and joint involvement, then I think topical, interlesional, or other classic systemic medications like um and methotrexate, and then for moderate, severe nail disease without significant skin or joint disease um, uh, or with or without, and who have not responded to the other things, go ahead, use the biologics. Sometimes you have to try to get it through the insurance companies. and can be a little bit harder, but it's really worth it. I do think sometimes it's worth doing the intralesional first, and I don't know if you all are comfortable doing this, but it's not such a big deal. The, the thing that everybody the thing that makes it painful is going deep. Let me show you some pictures, actually. We use a 30-gauge needle, just like we do for the anesthesia. I think I showed that this morning, the cold spray and the anesthesia. Um, the, wh- what you're really trying to do is put a small bleb in the highest part of the skin that you can. Um, what hurts is if you feel like you if you're going down to the matrix. And that's always the mistake the residents make first. They think they have to go deep because the matrix is deep. But you can put it as high up as you possibly can and it will diffuse down to the matrix and you don't have to cause a lot of discomfort. So if you freeze it, use a little little needle, just put a, a bleb in there. We mix it half and half with xylocaine so that after the first drop it's numb, you can go back and put a little bit more in. Um, and really superficial. Stay high up. It, it really is not painful. And you won't get a bruise in the nail if you do that. There's also some uh, literature on psoriatain being helpful. Uh, quite honestly, I don't use this a lot. I don't use it in women. I mean, there are lots of reasons not to use it, but I think it can be helpful in the right, well-selected patient. Um, and there's a paper. This is Antonella Tosti, who showed some pretty remarkable results with, with low-dose psoriotain. Um, um I'm going to show you, I, I like this study, actually. It's not a blinded controlled study, but I like it because it compares all the drugs. This is in nail psoriasis, and they, they measured um, NAPSI, which is nail psoriasis measurement on one scale, and then, um, and then time on the, on the um, other coordinate, and um, they looked at classical therapies and they looked at biologics, so the, the, the one on the left is the classical and then biologics. And the interesting thing, I'm not going to go through this. Um, this one is the classical therapy, acetretin, methotrexate, cyclosporin, PUVA, narrow band, Repuva. OK, so those are, those are the ones. Um, and they all showed some efficacy very slowly over time. The only one that did not show any efficacy is the red line, which is narrowband UVB. So not effective for nails. And I don't know if it's that it doesn't penetrate or what the deal is, but it, but it wasn't, wasn't working. Um, the interesting thing with the biologics, and this was a retrospective study where they looked at the charts and, and, and had napsies on all these people anyway, um, and some of these um, uh, drugs are not even available, Raptiva, for example, is gone, and this was before used to Kimimab and, and some of the other ones that we use a lot more now, but um, at any rate, the interesting thing is that some, um, although They started at different levels and dropped at different levels. You know, the infliximab dropped the quickest. They all pretty much got to the same endpoint out at about 48 weeks. You see how they all converge there pretty closely. So yeah, some are faster, some are slower. And I would bet eustochimumab would probably be pretty fast too. Um, But you know, I think they all pretty much can do the job eventually. Um, Okay, another case, we're moving away from psoriasis, 60-year-old woman with progressively slow-growing yellow nails. Um, I'm going to make sure Renee gives me the 10-minute warning when it gets to be time. Okay. Um, Anyway, uh, so she has yellow slow-growing nails, absent lunulin cuticle, and onycholysis. And those three features in a nail should trigger, you know, bells to go off. So what do you think? What do you think she has? Or what do you think we should do next? Uh, Let's take a look here. So, should you just tell her to stop using nail polish? We all know that nail polish can stain the nails yellow because of the yellow dye that's in most colors and everything. Uh, Should we take a medical history for pulmonary problems? Uh, We looked at her toenails. Should we look at her fingernails? Should we perform a nail biopsy or check a KOH culture and PAS? Actually, you can almost never go wrong with nails, looking at both fingernails and toenails and checking a KOH. Uh, In fact, most of the time we do that. Anyway, but um, the important thing here is to take a medical history for pulmonary problems. Does anybody know what uh, nail condition is associated with pulmonary issues? I think I heard it. Yellow nail syndrome. Yellow nail syndrome is characterized, and and the nails look very characteristic, actually. Those are toenails. Um, These are the fingernails. They're, They're yellow kind of yellowish green sometimes, they all look the same, once you see this you'll always recognize it. Um, uh, there's always onycholysis because they don't attach, they're very slow growing, in fact patients always say my nails stopped growing, they probably didn't stop growing but they look like they did. I'll tell you how we would measure when people say their nails aren't growing. Um, and they don't have cuticles and they don't have lunula and they're very thick and slow growing. So, And that's yellow nail syndrome. Um, and People have different versions of it, different colors of nail, but they're always thick and yellow growing. Um, this is a study that looked at um, uh, 41 patients with yellow nail syndrome to figure out what the accompanied accompanying problems were. Um, lymphedema and pulmonary problems are the two main things that, that people see. In fact, all of the patients in this study had one or both of those going on. The pulmonary thing, the, the main one, Is atelectasis, but also it can be uh, pulmonary effusions and bronchiectasis, all that kind of stuff. Um, So, um, treatment-wise, there's a a big literature on using um, vitamin E, and in this study, they use vitamin E. Some people got better; the people that got better without vitamin E. So, it's all over the place, and really treating the underlying problem is the way to get this better, and if you can get their lung problem clear, which you sometimes can, sometimes can't, the pulmonologists work on it, Um, I don't do that part, Um, um, the nails get back to normal, and I have seen that happen, actually, uh, mostly in teenagers. Um, Now this is not yellow nail syndrome, but this patient has yellow nails, Um, this is from something external, and the main things that we see are nail polish remover, the way you can tell. I hope I have another picture of this, yeah. Um, what you can tell is if the, the proximal margin of the color parallels the cuticle, it's usually external. If it parallels the lunula, it's usually internal. Let me show you what I mean. Can you see how this line here kind of parallels this line? Um, that means it's external, so it would be nail polish. Or the thing that we see this a lot with is uh, self-tanning cream. People put it on and their nails get stained, and then when the nails grow out, Um, you know, they look like this. So anyway, Um, but this is yellow nail syndrome. Because of the onycholysis, they can get a secondary yeast or mold going on too. That's kind of what they look like. Okay, moving on from yellow nail syndrome. Pulmonary problems, yellow nail syndrome. Um, 36-year-old female with a new papule on the nail fold. It's really subtle. Can you see it? It's right there. Let's see. Um, There you can see it a little bit more closely. It's not impacting the nail plate. So it's a little bit proximal to that. So what are we going to do? We're going to get an x-ray. Are we going to examine the nail carefully to determine if it is fluid-filled and movable? Are we going to tell her it's a myxoid cyst and just watch it? Or are we going to biopsy for diagnosis? Okay, think it over in your mind, okay. Well, I think we need to definitely examine it real carefully and see if we can figure out if it's fluid-filled, because if it's if it's a mixoid cyst, that co- takes us off in one direction. Um, and I mean, this is your second hour of me. You know I'm going to biopsy almost everything in the nail. So uh, biopsy, in this case, is the right thing to do. So um, and it is, it is firm. It isn't fluid filled. It's, it's movable, it's firm, but it's not fluid filled. So, so biopsy is the right thing. And you can do that. You are over the matrix, but you don't have to worry too much because it's probably pretty high up. And when we opened it up, we saw this little white thing coming out. So, this is actually a follicular cyst or probably an epidermal um, inclusion cyst, you know, tra- implantation cyst. She doesn't remember any trauma, but that's, that's what it is. And there it is. And you just take it out, and she was fine. Um, uh, lesion, we repaired it, lesion healed just fine. So, that does happen around the nail, and we sometimes see it. Not necessarily a worry. If it gets big enough, it may impact the nail plate. Okay, this is kind of fun. Maybe you all have seen this. It's not very common. One of my um, sur- uh, surgeon friends called, called me up, actually a derm surgeon, said, you know, I'm trying to fix this, li- this li- uh, girl's nails, and I keep blading them and trying to get rid of them, and I can't get rid of it, and what do I do? Anyway, well, what, is the de- what do you think the diagnosis is? Fungus, psoriasis, contact dermatitis, or pachyonychia congenita? Pachyonychia congenita. That's exactly right. Pachyonechi congenita, which is a familial deal, Um, and um, uh, this girl, she's a teenager, actually had the nails on her left hand ablated, but you can see they're coming back, and I'll tell you why in a minute. This is is really uh, cool how science makes all this fit together. Anyway, uh, this is a problem in which the nails get very thick, very, um, uh, actually, You know, thick to the point where people have trouble using their nails. They can't cut them. Turns out it's not so much the nail plate, it's the nail bed that's thickening here. They also get leukokeratosis oris, and they get blistering sometimes of their palms and soles. And that all has to do with keratin. This is the little baby of the mom that has it. Um, And um, it's it's actually a mutation in certain uh, uh, keratins, actually mostly keratin 6, 16, and 17, and it turns out by location, um, um, if you look to see where in the nail the various keratins are, the ones that are in the nail bed when they're mutated can cause the pachyonicae congenita. So if you ablate the matrix, if you're you're in there cutting out the matrix, phenoling the matrix, all that kind of stuff, you can do that all day long and it's not going to fix the problem. It's the nail bed that has the abnormal problem. They're doing some gene rearrangements, some uh, gene um, uh, kind of therapy, the problem is delivering it, but there are some uh, treatments where they're, they're going to try to correct things, and it's, it's pretty hopeful for these people down the road. Anyway, so this is, these are the keratins um, that are involved, and I think there are a lot of other minor mutations as well, but it's just a good thing to know about and, and to see. You may not have a lot of families with that in your neck of the woods. Anyway, okay, another case. This is an eight-year-old boy with a deep depression in the center of his nail, present for about a year, okay? No trauma, no manipulation. There he is, nice little guy. And he's got this thing in his nail. So right off the bat, what do you think? Any ideas? Well, I have to fess up on this. I didn't, I didn't get this right the first time. I got it right the second time, but I didn't get it right the first time. Um, I wasn't sure what this was. This was quite a while ago. It may have been about 10 years ago, actually. But I think it's, I think it's a good teaching point. Anyway, um, let's see if I have another picture here. So what are you going to do? Biopsy the nail matrix, do a skin exam, ask about family history, refer to your pediatrician. The correct answer is actually do a skin exam. Um, and what this patient, I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. I did a biopsy, actually, a nail biopsy. What this patient has, actually, is um, um, lichen striatus, and you all know lichen striatus is a is a condition that uh, can go down the arm and actually onto the hand and the nails, and it's it's a rough, warty kind of. Um, um, dermatologic entity, and it self-resolves over a period of years. It goes away by itself. So it comes, it's there, it's linear. Parents always wonder what it is, usually in kids, actually. But then it goes away. It actually disappears on its own. Without any treatment at all, it goes away. And what, what happens is when it goes down and affects the nail, as you can see on her second digit, you can see some of her lichen striate is still there. It's almost gone. The skin rash itself goes away long before the nail gets better. So sometimes you'll see these lesions. They always look just like that. That looks like the other one on her index finger there. Um, and you'll see, the, you'll see the lesion, but you won't see the skin rash. So you have to ask the parent, do you remember a skin rash that was on the dorsum of the hand that went down the finger? And a lot of times they say, oh, yeah, yeah. Or you can have them look at photographs or something. Um, if the rash is there, you're golden. You, you get it, like lichen striatus. But if, um, if the rash is gone, it's a little bit harder. So it's good to, good to think about it because you can, you can make a difference for these kids. Uh, in this case, and, and there's, it just goes down and it, it sort of temporarily p- puts the matrix to sleep and there's a big gap in the nail. And um, in her case, she still had a little of the skin rash, but most of it was gone. So lichen striatus and doesn't need treatment. The nail will get better too. It will go completely away all by itself. It just takes a whole lot longer because nails take longer to clear. To grow than um, skin does, it may take an extra year. Even although fingernails usually grow six months, it still may take a year for that to get back to normal after lichen striatus. So, so look for that. You don't really need to biopsy if you recognize it ahead of time. Lichen striatus. Um, it does have certain histopathologic features, but okay. A little bit more about pigmented bands in the nails. Um, we talked about some of this this morning. Six-month history of a solitary pigmented band in the nail. Uh, let's see here. There it is. Okay, so what are we going to do? Take a history, get an x-ray, biopsy the nail matrix, cover with nail polish, or biopsy the nail bed. The two things that we need to do are um, uh, take a history, first of all, because the basic mantra is any unexplained pigmented band in a Caucasian needs to have a matrix biopsy for diagnosis to be sure it's not a melanoma. But if you can explain it, if you have a reason for it that's a rational, reason, reasonably um, uh, accurate reason, then, then you're pretty good because, quite honestly, most of these are benign. Most pigmented bands in the nails are benign. but um, so, so what kind of history do you want to do? Well, you do have to biopsy the matrix, but taking a history, I think, is also very important. Okay. Um, this is a great paper, I'm not going to talk about it, so any unexplained, I'm going to say it again, longitudinal pigmented band in a Caucasian's nail needs a matrix biopsy to rule out melanoma. So if you can't figure it out, if you can't explain it, it's, you know, it's okay to watch them for a little while and see if something does evolve, but if you're worried about it, you've got to go for the biopsy. History, how long has it been there? Is it new? Is it stable? Is it changing? Did it come on when they started a new drug? Was it? Um, you know, do they have any other systemic disease? Are there any endocrine things? Are they pregnant? Were they pregnant? Have they been pregnant in the last three years? A lot of these will come on during pregnancy, but because the nail grows so slowly, the pregnancy is over and the, nail, the pigment is still in the nail or still even maybe getting darker. And, and if that's the case, it will go away. It'll just take another year or two, but it will go away. Um, was there trauma to the digit? Is it frictional melanonychia? All of these things are things that you can sort out and, and try to get a sense for. Um, um, is the width, is it narrow? Is it wide? Is it widening? Widening, if it's changing, that's obviously more of an issue. In adults, if it's, if it's wider in the back than in the, the, the um, distal end, that's, that's more of an issue. Um, And then dermoscopy. I think dermoscopy is extremely helpful in nails in in helping. It's not going to make a diagnosis for sure, but it can help you decide whether to biopsy or not. So uh, pigmented bands, um, you want to know if it's pigment that's melanin or pigment that's blood or pigment from fungus or pigment from something else, because there are other things that can cause pigmentation in the nail. Um, If I get time, I'll talk about some of the molds and Fungi that that can do that. Pseudomonas can do that. We've all seen pseudomonas. Henna, walnut, external things can do it too. So, so you want to you want to go through. You know, is it activation? So racial? Is it drug? Is it frictional? Is it systemic disease? Is it you know Bowen's, LP? Lots of those things. Um, or is it a nevus or melanoma? Okay. Um, ethnic. Um, uh, you know, their skin color makes a huge difference because, as we said before, as people that are darkly pigmented age, they get more pigmented bands in their nails normally, not, not pathologically. Um, and about 100% of blacks by age 70 have one or more pigmented bands in their fingernails, so it's, it's pretty common. Caucasians, hardly anybody does, so, you know, got to be thinking about that. And, and you know, they, a lot of these can look pretty similar. Most common cause, drugs. Way at the top of the list, endocrine hormones, frictional, racial, ethnic, HIV, actually. Be sure to check on that. There's a condition called or hunziger I didn't bring that. It's pretty rare, actually, but I have seen a few, in which people get pigmented bands in their nail and also um, on their lips, the buccal mucosa, and then nevus lentigo, that sort of thing. Dermoscopy is not 100% diagno- diagnostic. The one exception is actually in kids, if you see the, the dots in the, in the uh, congenital. Nail nevi. A lot of times, those those dots mean the, the nevus is fading or going away. Any, anyway, the the most uh, useful feature um, using the dermatoscope on the nail is the variability of the um, bands in the nail. And when you look at a band, yeah, it looks solid, but it's really not. Um, this is a melanoma, and you can see how it's narrow and wide, and dark and light, and all that variability is is really a, a red flag. And when you see that. You, you got a biopsy. The other thing you can do is look at the nail end on. In this case, it's pigmented pretty much the whole way through. But sometimes it's just in the in the top or the bottom, and that that will guide your biopsy in the matrix. You know, if you know that it's distal matrix by where it is in the nail, then you can you can aim your biopsy there. So it does help. But there are lots of things, and um, you wouldn't think of this. This is pseudomonas, but not very pigmented. Um, you know. Drug, frictional, um, I'm not going to talk about childhood melanoma. Actually, kids often get traumatic melanonychia This will go away. It did go away, actually. So I'll, I will sometimes watch these. Um, um, I think, I can't remember exactly whether that was tric- frictional or, or drug. I just pulled out a bunch of these. Um, that one is for sure f- uh, frictional melaninikia. Um, uh, this one's a nevus. And it, if, you, if you biopsy it, I mean, I I think I applaud you for doing that. Um, But if you can figure it out, if you can get a history and have a a good logical answer, um, I I think that's good too. Um, uh, You know, fungal, there's fungal melanonychia, there's all sorts of stuff. Pseudomonas, again, where it's lifted on ecolytic, drug. The the ones that are drug, um, and actually even the frictional ones, tend to be a little more gray than brown. It's just, sort of something that we see. But anyway, and that looked a little more gray. Again, biopsy is not a big deal. It is no bigger deal than a shade biopsy on the nose, quite honestly, just to open up the nail, cut around it, look for the pigment, cut around it, and score around it. You want to really see where it is. Pull back the cuticle. Can you see how how we scored around where the pigment is? And try to get a little bit of a margin. You want to get the whole thing out. If you only get part of it out. I mean, you can do a punch, and and we used to do those all the time. You punch through it, but you leave pigment behind, and then when it regrows, you got stripes on the side, and it's ambiguous and hard to follow, and is it changing, and so it's better if you can to get it all out. Anyway, so biopsying the nail, um, and you just score around it, and then kind of shave it off in a thin way, and you won't get a dystrophy. You will get an answer, um, and that's the way to go. Oh, this is a cool case. This is really cool. What does this look like? After I just harped on, got a biopsy, everything. Okay, this, is, this looked like a melanoma, I swear. He walked in and I thought, this is a melanoma. Look at that Hutchinson sign. holy cow. Look at that pigmented band in the nail. This has gotta be a melanoma. So, what did we do? Well, he's 60 year old, um, I think he did have some trauma way back, but it wasn't big trauma, it was like childhood, or. but anyway. Um, he had it for six years, and he had a, what looked like a Hutchinson sign. I mean, if that doesn't look like a Hutchinson sign, I don't know what does. Anyway, so, um, so of course, well, what are we going to do? Biopsy the nail bed, KOH. Well, what we did was biopsied the cuticle part, the proximal nail fold, and we biopsied the matrix, which is a logical thing to do, okay? And um, the differential, we went through all that. Here he is, kind of intraoperative. You can see the pigment there. There he is, put all back together again. We got the path back. And the path, well, I'm gonna show, I'll show you the path. This isn't a melanoma. Um, it's acral skin, um, uh, kind of hyperkeratotic. The bottom one especially, you can see that the uh, kind of acanthoma um, Thickening of the epidermis. This looks like a seborrheic keratosis, and in fact, that's what the diagnosis—it's what it was read out as. You know, they they stained from melanocytes. They did all sorts of stuff. It went to several different labs, several different pathologists, and it turns out that it was it, that it's a seborrheic keratosis in the nail. So um, there have been a couple of other cases um, described, actually, only about three worldwide. Um, so. Uh, but this is the first one that was also associated with a solar lentigo. There was a solar lentigo there as well. So anyway, just kind of a, an unusual, interesting case. Okay, a um, few more cases here. I think we'll have time. Um, four-year-old boy, six-month history of um, uh, kind of red-scaly nail folds. A uh, pediatrician has given him all sorts of things for infection. Augmentin, biaxin, erythromycin, everything, no improvement. And here's a little guy. He's not too happy. His little thumbs are all unhappy here. Um, there they are close up. So what's he have? He's got paronychia. Um, and he, he probably puts his thumbs in his mouth, although he says he doesn't suck his thumb. I would bet at nighttime that might find his way to his mouth. But anyway, and what would the organism be? Would this be acute or chronic paronychia? What do you think? Yeah, it's chronic paronychia, which means it's probably not bacterial. It's probably candida. And actually, probably all the the antibacterial medications um, may have even predisposed predisposed him to candida. So he does have candida paronychia. You can treat this a lot of different ways. Um, and, And you all know that there's acute paronychia and chronic paronychia, and the acute tends to be more bacterial. Chronic tends to be more yeast, although you can have an overlay of bacteria. Sometimes there, are coliforms and other sorts of bacteria as well. So culturing, I think, is worthwhile. Um, the main thing with paronychia, the reason paronychia happens, is the cuticle goes away. And when patients come in, I tell them, if you can't get, our goal is to get the cuticle to reattach because until it does, you're going to get all that moisture underneath the nail fold and things are going to grow. Do you see where there's paronychia there? Well, the cuticle's gone. And the, so stuff gets under there, dirt, moisture, and it's hard to get it dry, hard to keep it clean, and that's where the problem is. So the cuticle, you have to treat the yeast, treat the whatever's there, and encourage that cuticle to reattach. Um, I mean, and they're all the same. Paronychia always has that. Now, in real inflammatory paronychia, you get this bolstering thing going on where you have to treat that with, with cortisone as well, that inflammatory nail fold, um, so um, I usually do um, well, different things, but at least antimicotic topically on the nail and then topical steroid on the, the raised um, you know, uh, proximal nail fold where it's inflamed. Um, and this can get really inflamed and really ugly and red. And people always want to clean under there. They want to poke under there. And all that does is dislodge that new cuticle as it's trying to grow out. It grows out from under the nail between the nail plate and the nail fold. So you've got to get the cuticle to attach or this, all bets are off on this. Um, Acute perinechia, there was a recent article, it was a really nice evidence-based article that looked at drainage versus not draining, and it turned out it didn't make any difference. Um, you do want to open it to the point of culturing it, it's usually staph or strep, and then treating it like you would any other bacterial infection on the skin with, a, with an anti-staph drug. And sometimes they can be mixed. This one it had some yeast and some bacteria. Uh, let's see, what am I going for here? Um, sometimes you'll get a lot of pus, and you can't always tell if pus is bacterial or yeast. Sometimes Canada will, will get this pus kind of creamy stuff. There is a differential you can have. Um, this is a blistering dactylitis, which is not true perinicchia, but it's a, a, strep, a strep deal. Um, you can have concomitant onycholysis with it along with the paronychia. Um Who's seen this? What drug causes this? Yes, good job, absolutely. Um, It's actually not all that uncommon side effect of of Isotretino, Accutane, that's exactly right. Um, But there are all sorts of other things. And then sometimes you get nail dystrophy because the cuticle, you need a cuticle for the smooth nail to come in. And if it's gone, sometimes you you get this dystrophy thing. And and so I just tell people over and over, got to get the cuticle to attach and you do that. You know, out of water, no wet work, Um, you know, try to wear gloves. I use um, topical antifungal, I'll often use fluconazole once weekly. In addition, um, and by the way, that's the only antifungal that is approved, none of them are approved for onychomycosis, but in children, fluconazole is the one um, that is approved in kids. Uh, And um, let's see, treat inflammation with, with topicals. So that's pretty straightforward. Okay, so I think we must be done. Are we? I think we are, right? I think so, yes. If you have questions, I'll be around. And I I do want to just thank you a lot for your attention. You've been a great group, and and, um, I I always like coming to the PA meetings because you guys are awesome. So thanks for that.